When I was in high school, I ran track and field. I was, I was pretty decent. I was enough to make varsity, and I, I ran the, the 800, which is half a mile, two laps, and the mile, which is four laps. Uh, but we had quite a few guys who were much better than me. Uh, in fact, one of the guys, our senior year, he was good enough that he wanted to break the school record in the mile. He was a really fast runner. His name was Ladd. And uh, he eventually went on to run D1 at Purdue University. And so he had tried to break the mile a couple times, but uh, about halfway or three-quarters through the season, he, he had thus far been unsuccessful. Well, it just so happened that my best 800 time, my best half mile, uh, was about exactly what Ladd needed to run in order to break the school record. So the head coach came to me one, one practice, and he said, he said, Hickox, because it's always the last name in sports. Hickox, would you, would, you, would you run two laps as fast as you could in front of Vlad for this, for this next meet so that he can try to break the school record? Well, I was excited for my friend. So I said, sure, I can do that. Why not? I'll help, help anywhere I can. So he gets to the meet. The gun goes off. And I'm taking off flying. I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to break the school record here. And so I'm, I'm out in front, which was highly unusual. And so, <laughs> and so people, people in the crowd... And the teammates, they're like, what in the world is Hickox doing? He's going to die out there. He's going to burn out. He better slow down. Unfortunately, they were right. So I crossed two laps, and it was like perfect. I was like 207, 208. And, uh, and so then, then I had exhausted all my energy. <laughs> and I tried the best I could to hang on. I was grinding it out, but I was just getting past left and right. I was just totally gassed. I finally, I think I crossed the line nearly in last place. It was quite a bit embarrassing. I crossed the line and I was a senior, some, some sophomore kid kind of patted me on the back and he said, hey buddy, good, good race. Next time, just try to pace yourself a little bit better. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it was embarrassing, but people did not understand what I was doing. Because no one, would, no one who's trying to win the race would run the way that I did. It did not make sense to anybody else. See, if you're trying to run to win, you would not run the way that I was doing. I mean, no one would purposely enter a race to finish last, would they? Or would they? <laughs> or would they? So friends, today as we continue our journey through Mark, we're going to look at one of Jesus' most important lessons for his disciples. In the passage we are going to look at, he essentially gives this same lesson three different times in three different ways in context. So it's incredibly important to Jesus because this lesson, it's at the heart of who he is. It's at the heart of what he came to do for us. Essentially, his main lesson for us is to purposely be last in order to put others first. And so the disciples were arguing, arguing about in Mark 9, Mark 9, 35. You're welcome to turn there in your Bibles or your phone. Uh, we'll be jumping around Mark 9 and 10. Um, but I want to put together uh, three verses for you. So it's on the screen for you. Mark 9, 35. This is after the disciples are argue, arguing about who is the greatest. Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So he teaches them once. Then in Mark 10, 31, this is the instance with after the rich young ruler walks away from Jesus because of his great wealth. And the disciples are, are wondering about, hey, well, we left everything to follow you. And, and then Jesus reminds them, many who are first will be last, 
and the last will be first. And then, after another set of teaching, Mark 10, 44 through 45, he says it again. And this time, they were arguing about positions of power and authority in the kingdom they thought they were going to be in. And he says, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see how this, they get it three different times in just this short section of Mark. So it's incredibly important to Jesus. He wanted them to understand this lesson. And Jesus was calling them to this because this is what he did for us. He said, he said it right there in Mark 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for us. He went from first place in heaven with all of the glory to literally the last place on earth. Remember, the crucifixion was reserved for those of the lowest and most despised status. He went all the way to last place that we might be come first place in heaven with him. And then God reversed it. Now the name of Jesus is the name that is above every name. Do you see that journey from first to last to first? As disciples of Jesus, you are called to make that same journey. As we talked about two weeks ago, this is the journey of denying oneself, taking up your cross, and following Him. And it's an appropriate journey to think about and renew during this season of Lent, to die to yourself for the sake of others. And, I, I, and sometimes I like to sometimes take scriptures and turn them into declarations. This really helps me. And so I, I turn this into a declaration that I want to say to you. I, I titled this, A Servant's Manifesto. Because Jesus gave up his life for me, I will give up my life for others. I will be very last so others can be first. I will be a servant to all people. I do not seek to be served, but to serve and to spend my life serving others like Jesus served me. I seek to serve the church, the lost, children and the poor, and anyone in need of love. That's my declaration. That's who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. The way of the cross is the way of service. That's how we die to ourselves and follow him. Now, it would be very quite simple to, to leave this there and just say, you know what, the lesson is just, just go and serve all people. But I want us to think about particularly four categories of types of people the Lord Jesus calls us to serve. And if you think about your life of service, if your life is about service, I want you to think about your service portfolio. What should be in your service portfolio in your life? And I think all four of these should be present if we seek to be a servant in the way of Jesus. So the first category of folks we should serve are children. We'll start back in Mark 9. The 12 were arguing about who was the greatest apostle. And Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He then gives them an object lesson. He takes a child. Can I get a child to come up here? Any volunteers? Yeah, Luke. I was hoping you'd raise your hand. Jesus wants to give them an object lesson because he doesn't want them to just hear it. He wants them to see it. And it says that Jesus took a child in his arms. Ugh! And he said, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name <laughs> welcomes me. So welcome a little one like Luke. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. 
We welcome a child. Jesus took a child in his arms. Probably someone a little bit smaller than Luke, I think. (laughs) But he took him in his arms and he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So this, friends, this tells us something so profound about our own spiritual formation in Christ. I think Jesus is showing us that serving and welcoming children is a powerful antidote to the pride and to the self-serving sinful tendencies that exist in our hearts. Remember, they were arguing about pride, they were prideful, they were arguing about who is the greatest. And so Jesus then brings in this example of children. Because if you serve adults, they might serve you back. If you serve adults, they might say thank you. When you serve adults, it may increase their esteem of you, and thereby you are rewarded for your service. Now, I think Faith Covenant has the best kids in the whole world, and I'm sure from time to time they say thank you when you serve them. But in general, the point is, children cannot repay us like adults can. They cannot. They are dependent. We are not. Children need us us to teach them, and they they do not boost our our prestige or our position. They cannot buy us things. They cannot have us over for dinner. Serving children is a way to serve purely. And this topic was incredibly important to Jesus, and it comes up a second time in Mark 10. I almost debated which was more important in this passage, being last or serving children, because it comes up again in Mark 10. You know, and as I was studying this passage, many of the commentators were saying, you know, that this lowly child in Mark 9, this, this, this represents anybody of, of low status or position. And I think that's, that's a fair, good point. But let's not forget to serve and welcome actual children. And I think Mark 10 drives that point even further. In 13 through 16, this is that famous story of people bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But astonishingly, astonishingly, The disciples rebuked them. I mean, Jesus had just taught them. He had just given this, he had just put that child in his arms. And now here we are, just like 20 verses later, and the disciples are rebuking people for bringing children to Jesus. Oh, how hard-headed we can be sometimes. But then when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, the, disciple, the pride that's lurking in the disciples' heart, they wanted to kind of control who could and who could not come to Jesus. You know, they wanted kind of to protect their master. And Jesus says, Jesus was indignant. That means he is angry and he is annoyed at the disciples because they are violating something that he is very passionate about and he had just taught them about. So Jesus corrects them. And he gives them a directive that I think should be a directive for all churches everywhere. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. We ought to provide avenues for children to come to Jesus and remove any barrier that might be in their way. We ought to welcome them in the church and into our lives. We are servants to all, especially children. Friends, I'd like to offer you a mighty title. I'd like to offer you perhaps the greatest position, the greatest title that you could have in the church. Here it is, servant of children. 
servant of children. Could you be accused of that? Could someone accuse you of that title? We ought to aspire to it. We ought to to care for the little sheep in our flock with great care and concern because it's part of our calling. And I hope not to simply motivate you by your obligation to to do this, but also by the promise of Jesus. He said, whoever welcomes one of these little ones, you're welcoming me, you're welcoming Christ Himself. When you're serving children, you're serving the King of the universe. I also want to motivate you by how it will transform you and your discipleship to Jesus. This is the medicine that Jesus offered to pride. And if you want to be like Him, serve kids. And if this is all true, if we are welcoming Jesus Himself by welcoming children, shouldn't we be lining up to serve them? Shouldn't there be a wait list in the children's ministry department of every church? Oh my goodness. Why isn't this the case? In many churches, people struggle with volunteers, especially in children's ministry. It's a struggle. And I've been wondering why, why is this the case? And I've, and I've thought of some reasons. You know, perhaps we assume it's someone else's gifting. And I just want to say, you don't need a special endowment of the Spirit to serve kids. You just need a humble and willing heart. Perhaps unconsciously, we've adopted a false construct of gender. You know, I think men tend to assume it's women's work. I think this is just, this is just generally true. And children's ministry should not be just for the women. The women who serve, I thank God for you. And the men we have serving, I'm thankful. You know, I, I want to thank, thank Jean for stepping up for our ministry to children. But before that, every primary teacher of ministry to children was women. And young children and worship, which is the program that happens downstairs, it's women. And some think, oh, I would do that, but I don't want to miss Pastor Nate's sermon. Oh, good news of great joy, friends. You can catch it later. (laughs) (laughs) On the live stream. (laughs) I'm really glad you're laughing with me right now. Our children's ministry team is all women. Kids Club is run by almost all women. There's one man. You might say, I'm in choir and I can't serve the kids. Well, maybe you could come to part of it, go afterwards, or maybe the Lord's calling. Rick is the one guy we have in youth ministry. The majority of our Sunday school teachers and nursery workers are women. I'm just telling you what is, okay? And maybe you weren't aware of that, and I'm making you aware. Uh, now, women who aren't, if you're, not, if you're a woman here and you're not serving children and you feel compelled, you'd like to volunteer, we will not turn you away. <laughs> We'd be glad to have you. I see some of our children's ministry workers nodding your head. We won't turn anybody away. We could use the support. But men of faith, where are you? We need you. Men who grew, who grew up in the church, were you not mentored by the godly men in the church around you? Were they not involved in your lives? And if they were, perhaps they weren't. Don't you wish that they had, had, had been involved? We want this type of mentoring. Don't we want our children and youth to have more godly examples of men in their faith? Please don't make the women bear the primary burden of raising up the next generation in our church. And for many of us, it's generally true, we make them bear that burden in the home and we're also making them bear the burden in the church. It's not right. It's not right. We need godly men and women serving, bringing up the next generations. Perhaps 
That's a reason. Or perhaps another reason is because we're too busy. We're losing the fight against other activities that demand our children's and our own attention and presence at some place other than the church. Friends, children don't make their own schedules. We make it for them. So do not hinder them by overburdening them. Their depth of involvement in the church will set the norm for what they come to expect when they raise up the next generation. So what do you want the church future to look like? Don't we want it to look like the, the, the center of our communal life, the center of our discipleship? Don't we want them to make the church central to their families and to the next generations? You know, I told you I recently sat in a workshop with Native American pastors, and they said in Native culture, we always think about the seven generations that came behind us and the seven generations that are coming after us. We want to learn from the past and those who passed the faith down onto us, and we want to make sure we're passing it on so that in seven generations from now, they're still loving and following the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a powerful mentality. Perhaps the reason is because we're tired and we need rest. If you need rest, please get some rest. Please take a break. Please take a vacation. Go out, take a Sabbath day, but then get back in the game. Get back in the game. Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Please don't give up. Please don't give up. I know it can be thankless work. I know sometimes you don't see the fruit. You don't see it right now. But Paul says, don't give up because there's going to be a harvest. It's been a weary season of two years. Don't give up. Don't give up on the next generation. We need you. Stay in the fight. Stay in the game. The service of children is the privilege and duty of all God's people, men, women, young and old. And I wish everybody could be involved and was involved in some way. My commitment to you as, as the pastor is I, I'm involved with our commands on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, and I also try to be here on Wednesday nights, even though I'm leading Abide. Afterwards, I try to go downstairs, say hi to the kids, get to know their names, welcome them. Frankly, I wish I could do both. I would love to, I would love to clone myself and be in kids club, youth group, and in Abide. I wish I could do that, but I can't. But we all should do something and be involved. I want children to love growing up in the church, don't you? That's one of my highest ideals. So let's be last. Let's not make what we get out of church about ourselves, but let's be last for the sake of children and the next generation. So friends, being last, it's a hard teaching. I have more to say. That was my longest thing on that. But let's talk about a second category, the church. Jesus has another teachable moment about service and who should be in our service portfolio. Uh, in Mark 9, 38, teacher said, John, as we saw someone driving out demons in your name, we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Now, of course, the, the Good Samaritan and other teachings, love your neighbor as yourself, this, that stretches our love to, to anybody in need of our, of our love and service. And yet, it's also true that there ought to be a special consideration, a special place in our heart for those who belong to the Messiah, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Anyone who claims Jesus as their Lord is part of the family that we belong to. 
And if we serve them, we're also serving Christ himself. Paul put it this way in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So friends, this, this is one another. As covenant members of the same church family, we say and we commit that this group, that this church family is going to have a special consideration, a special place within my heart, my time, and my gifts. We say that this is the people, this is the place where I will express my commitment and love to God's people. So yes, we are to serve all people and all Christians, but how does that practically get lived out? In the local church, right? Right here, in the family of believers. And as, as, we, as we vote in new members at our congregational meeting this afternoon, remember that all of us members, we too have made a commitment, a covenant, to be committed with our love and service and gifts one to another, to express the love of God to each other. We are to have a special place in our hearts for our brothers and sisters in Christ. A third category of people you should have in your service portfolio is the poor. You know that this was a priority of Jesus. You know this. And I'm drawing on the story of the rich young ruler in Mark 10 who comes to Jesus. We don't have time for the whole story. But it says in verse 21, Jesus looks at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Our service service portfolio, our be last portfolio, it ought to include the poor. A special concern of God's heart in Jesus' kingdom from Old Testament to New. And if we truly desire to be last, then we will continually keep putting ourselves in last place and helping move others ahead who have less, help move them ahead to the front. And this will and should result naturally in giving and generosity. On Ash Wednesday, I talked about almsgiving, giving to the poor. It's one of the traditional Lenten disciplines. It's one of the spiritual disciplines that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Consider how giving to the poor might be a spiritual practice we need to adopt. And finally, in our service portfolio, let's look at the lost. You know, at this point in my sermon, maybe you're wondering, like a lot of us sinful people do, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? If this is what I'm called to, what's in it for me? In fact, this is what the disciples were wondering after Jesus talks to the rich young ruler. And Peter speaks up and he says, we left everything to follow you. This is verse 28, verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. There it is again. Be last. Be last. So, Notice that Jesus doesn't have a problem with teaching and reminding us that this is all worth it. This is all worth it for the present age and the life to come. The Lord does reward what we do. He sees your service. He sees your heart to serve others, and He rewards it. He's pleased with it. But He also shifts Peter's focus. Don't focus on yourself. 
First will be last, last will be first. Be very last. No one who has given up these things for me and for the gospel. Notice Jesus says it's for the gospel, the good news of Jesus' kingdom. And so they are in this mission of announcing the good news of his kingdom wherever they are going. That's what they're doing. Announcing the good news to others, to the lost, to those who don't know Jesus. That's part of our service portfolio as well. So I hope it's clear that Mark, he's not letting any one of us off the hook on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He told us it would be a cross. He told us it would be dying to yourself, dying to yourself, taking up your cross and following him. Can you see the high price of this now? Do you see it? You are called to put yourself very last, which is essentially the same thing as crucifying yourself so that you can follow Jesus and serve other people. And sometimes even as the sermon and as I'm saying it to you now, I, I worry that I, would, I might be maybe overburdening you, uh, putting something on you that you, that you can't handle. But I, I've been reminding myself and I want to remind you that this is the way to life. As backwards as it might sound, Jesus teaches when we lose ourselves for him, for his sake, that's when we actually find life. So like my, ha- my high school track coach, I believe Jesus is coming to every single one of you. And he's saying, wait, will you enter this race? But I don't want you to be first. I want you to put others ahead. I want you to be last. I want you to serve other people. People will think you're crazy. You might think you're, you're crazy at times for living this way, but you're going to put everybody else ahead. You're going to put others ahead. And some of you, because of your position, you actually started, you got a head start on life, like, like the parables of, the, of the, the bags of gold, parable of the talents, you were given more. And so how much more do you need to backpedal? How much more do you then need to go to those who are behind you and say, I'm bringing you up with me. I'm pushing you ahead. I'm going to put you first above myself. We enter the race to be last. So I want to invite you to say this with me. Maybe, maybe you're not ready to say this and that's okay, but if, but if you are, I want to invite you to declare this with me. And maybe you're not quite ready to say it, but if, even just saying it, I want to be this. Lord, I, I, I'm tired or, or I don't have enough energy, but I want to be like this. This is my prayer. Would you say this with me? Because Jesus gave up his life for me. I will give up my life for others. I will be very last so others can be first. I will be a servant to all people. I do not seek to be served, but to serve and to spend my life serving others like Jesus served me. I seek to serve the church, the lost, children, the poor, and anyone in need of love. Amen.